Do you hunt? No. <laughs> no. You're not one of those animal rights nut jobs, are you? Uh, thanks for uh, speaking to me. Would you be up for uh, just giving a little bit of info about uh, who you are and the group that you're part of? Right. Uh, I'm, I go out sabbing with a group called Seven Vale Hunt Saboteurs. We're a small group based in Gloucestershire, and we're primarily focused on uh, beagle and basset packs, which hunt hares on foot. Yes, great. And so this episode is about hare hunting on foot. Um, would you be able to talk a little bit about what beagling is um, uh, as as a form of hunting and also a little bit about basset packs and uh, how they may differ, if there are any differences? Um, well, uh, beagling is effectively just the sport of following beagles. Uh, it basically hunts use beagles packs of beagles to hunt hares on foot or the hunt staff are on foot the followers are on foot um it basically takes place in in open countryside because hares live in fields um uh, difference between bassets and beagles is basically bassets are a different breed um once again hunt hares on foot some of the packs around here also hunt rabbits occasionally um i mean the main difference really is that bassets are basically a bit slower but they are better scenting hounds, so they tend to stick to the hair, hair's trail and on the hair for longer. So um, how you approach them is slightly different. Okay. Hairs, uh, to my understanding, are, you know, they can be pretty fast when they want to. Why would there be a an even slower um, breed of hounds such as a, as a Basset? Um, do you have any uh, knowledge on sort of the history of that? Um, well, Basset hunting... Hunting with basset hounds was something that started pretty much in the 19th century. It was a fairly, I mean, most hare hunting in the 19th century was with harriers, which were much longer legged, somewhere between, in size between a, a beagle and a foxhound. There's still a number of harriers, harrier packs in the country, but basically hunting on foot with bat, beagles and bassets became much more popular, partly because it was more open to people who didn't couldn't afford horses and also simply because it was easier to for people to follow. Um, bassets, the reason people want to hunt with bassets was because, they, because they've because they got really good scenting conditions, they stick to the hair for longer. So the hunt lasts longer, there's more complicated stuff for people to watch before the, the bassets eventually tire the hair out, overhaul it and rip it to pieces. Right. Yeah. Okay. So I guess, I guess sticking to it and then, and exhausting, exhausting the hair makes, makes sense. So before we get into the nitty gritty of of hare hunting, uh, are you able to tell me a bit about hares themselves as creatures, um, and also how they act uh, when they are uh, hunted? Um, and I guess, yeah, um, also a little bit about why hunters may go after hares uh, tr- traditionally, I guess, and and today. Um- well, as far as, I mean, hares, obviously, uh, I suppose, lagomorphs live in fields, tend to lie up in scrapes, which is shallow depressions in the field when they're not active. They're usually more active um, early in the morning and late in the evenings So, and at night. So basically, when the hunters are out during the daytime is usually when the hares themselves will be resting up. So um, basically, they'll put the hounds into a field, spread out, looking for either scent lines that lead up to where the hares 
laid up or waiting to spring the hair up from its its scrape and uh, its form um whereupon the hounds will go into cry and just start chasing it i mean the hare is faster initially than the hounds so the hare pulls away and the hounds continue to chase it i mean the reason they hunt them is because it's good uh, inverted commas sport there is a lot of entertainment to be had apparently from watching a pack of hounds chase a hare um correct themselves when they go wrong uh, and basically eventually work out the scent line to the point at which uh, they're in coursing it, by hunting it in direct view, which, which po- at that point the hare is probably getting quite tired and could well be killed quite soon. Um, yeah. I mean, I mean, one of the things about beagles is there's probably a slightly lower proportion of total blood fanatics. There's more people who simply have a depraved indifference to the suffering of the animal and just prefer... just see other aspects of it that they enjoy um but when it comes down to it it's still people taking pleasure from the suffering of animal yeah yeah no that that uh totally makes sense so um as i mentioned uh just before we started recording i'm i have you know, a, a quite a bit of experience with harriers one of the kind of bits of received wisdom um i, I guess i got when i first started sabbing is that one of the forms of defense a hare will will try and act is to run in circles in in fields um, as a way of uh, its own form of trying to exhaust the the predator uh, or the, the hounds in this case. Well, it's, it's largely because hares are territorial, so they will try to hunt. Right, they will try to run within their territory. So obviously, they will perpetually run a large circle, effectively because they're trying to get back to where they started. I mean. That they feel safe in the where they where they've laid up. That's their form, so they effectively run back to pretty much where they've been put up by the hounds. Mm. Um, which actually, from a point of view of a hunt saboteur, when if you actually have to intervene because they're hunting, is actually quite useful because it allows you to cut off the circle. You can see which way the hare's turned and move across in order to cut off the hounds at the at the, the apex of the circle, as it were. Well, obviously it's. It varies according to the terrain. Um, sometimes you'll find yourself in situations where the hounds, the hare will run around the top end of a valley. Once again, it's simply a case of getting to the other side of the valley and, wa- and waiting for them and then stopping them hunting then. I mean, happily, in most cases, beagles and bassets won't hunt with hunt saboteurs present. Yes, yeah, I think that's something we'll we'll come back to uh, in, in a moment. The I, th- I think the other thing is also just the the types of terrain that a hare may may cover when it's when it's running. I, obviously, with um, is it? I guess it's not always going to be sticking to one field. It's going to try and cross fields if it feels if it uh, feels a, a need to do so. But is it um, just going from field to field, or will it be crossing through woodland? Is it? Are you likely to find a hare crossing through woodland, for example? I mean, the thing is, you do find hares in woodland. Um... They're very much also associated with the, the woodland edge as well around fields. But, I mean, it depends well, depend on the landscape that you're hunting within. I mean, if you've got areas, for instance, like East Anglia with very wide open large fields, the whole thing can take place within one large field. Um, for instance, when we're operating in the Cotswolds, we're, we're dealing with quite low dry stone walls, but still large fields, but we could be traversing... A dozen fields 
Mm. So, I mean, obviously there's less woodland as well. In other parts of the country, uh, for instance, we have lowland areas, both uh, on the seven, on the Somerset levels and also by the River Seven, where we operate, where um, once again, fields are quite small and we can find ourselves having to traverse a large number of hedgerows in order just to get to where, where everything's going on. Um, it just depends upon the landscape you're in. Uh, yeah. I mean, a lot of beagles these days tend to hunt in areas which are fairly remote as well. So a lot of that's quite open upland country, you'll find, uh, where there literally are very few field boundaries. So as I said, it, how we deal with it, what we have to deal with and how the hare um, behaves is completely dependent on the landscape we find ourselves in. Okay. Um and I guess this is a bit of a tangential question or a historical one, but there seems to be beagle packs. Uh, there seems to be a lot of beagle packs that are associated with uh, fancy schools yeah. uh, in like Oxford and Cambridge and also the military. And I imagine there were far more in the past than there are today. Do you know why that is? Um, it's because beagling uh, was very much seen as effectively the training of the fox hunt uh, huntsmen and masters of the future so effectively it was seen as a good way of getting um, children from fa- fairly well-off backgrounds involved in the sport of hunting with hounds um, I remember reading a book where they described it as character forming um, <laughs> that would tell you that way how you will but I certainly just experience I mean, the basic level of experience of looking after a pack of hounds feeding them Etc. Etc. Of dealing with landowners, arranging hunt meets, etc. Etc. Was all apparently very good training for the future of the of the uh, children of the establishment. I mean, in terms of the schools that operated, obviously, I mean, we still have beagle packs associated with the with Eton College, Radley College, and Stowe School. Um, formerly Marlborough College, where else? Appleforth College had their own hair hunts within the last. 20 odd years. So mm. well, it's become smaller, but it's still there. It's very much the almost like the introduction to blood sports for uh, an, es- an establishment part of society. Uh, I mean, there's, there's no real way of getting away from the fact that places like Eton are primarily there to educate people. Uh, the, what would see, be seen as the higher echelons of society. Uh, just basically, hunting wild animals has always, with hounds has always been seen as part of an establishment upbringing, hence its association with the more elite schools. I mean, in terms of the military, it's effectively a step on from that as well. It was a fairly low-cost means. Once again, it was seen as character-forming. It was supposed to be good exercise for military men. So you would have packs, what used to be the School of Infantry in Wiltshire, who are now amalgamated with a civilian pack to form the Wiltshire Infantry. There's the former Sandhurst Military Academy Beagles, um, the old, um, Lord, who else? Catterick, the old Per Ardua, the old RAF pack. I mean, yeah. pretty much, uh, of course, and then there's a naval pack, the Britannia Beagles in Devon. Um, so uh, all, as, all of the armed services have had their own packs of Beagles associated with them. Um, it was just seen as a good way of getting um, servicemen out exercising and gaining responsibility. 
Yeah. And is it the same for Bassett's? Oh, Bassett, Hunting with Bassett's is had a bit of a checkered history, and it's, if anything, it's probably the form of Hunting Hares on Foot, which is in the greatest decline. Um, I think we're down to six packs of Bassett's. Three of them are operating in areas where we can where we can target them in Gloucestershire and over in Oxfordshire. Um, hmm. But yeah, only six packs of hounds. When we've come across them, they're generally very poorly supported, no more than the 20 or so supporters. Um, it's bat, hunting with bassets is probably a bit more esoteric than hunting with beagles, if you like. It, it has a sort of its own clientele of enthusiasts, and um, they're getting older and uh, dying out, which can only be a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, and when you um, described earlier about beagles uh and their connection with uh yeah with you know uh posher schools it being seen as a way of training the the huntsman and, and the hunt staff of of the future mm. um that may realize it's a, a question that i haven't asked yet but the the basic structure of uh of a beagle hunt uh is the same as other hunts so they have Obviously, they have the huntsman, um, but they have whips as well. Is, yeah, is that the case? That certainly do. Um, yeah. I mean, because they're on foot as well, and because they're obviously going to be less mobile than, say, say, someone on a horse, they actually probably need more people carrying whips than, say, a fox hunt or a mounted harrier pack would. Um, I think it's fairly standard is to have at least two whips. Um, packs we've been with have had anything up to half a dozen. Um, and it's not entirely unusual for the hunt staff to out- outnumber the number of actual paying supporters. <laughs> okay and uh just just before we move on to sabbing beagles and and bassets uh you you mentioned in the introduction that you're part of seven vale sabs would you want to talk a little bit more about about the group um and and why you focus on beagles i guess you kind of mentioned that you kind of yeah hinted at that already uh so if you don't have any more to say that's that's fine well i mean simply enough we we were a small established group. I mean, in Gloucestershire, it's a fairly rural area. So it was never going to be the case that there were going to be huge numbers of SABs there. But it was really our focus on Beagles and Bassets came about because we very much felt that they were being ignored by other groups in preference to mounted fox hunts. Um, so we saw that they basically, that these hunts were not getting the attention that they we felt they'd served. They, the reason for casino folks is that they are incredibly vulnerable. They're generally quite small in terms of their support base, generally quite few supporters. Financially, they are in difficulty. They're vulnerable. They're vulnerable to SABs. Um, the simple thing is when you're walking in open fields with a pack of hounds looking to hunt an out wild animal, there is no hiding what they're doing. Once the hare is put up, once the hounds are on it, the huntsman encourages on, this is all in full view of anybody in the vicinity. And that is primarily the reason why, when we turn up, the vast majority of them will, will pack up and go home, simply because we're there. We have very rarely have to do too much. Yeah. And in the same way, because they are really vulnerable, uh, they have to be incredibly secretive. 
they have to they don't advertise they barely tell anybody outside their tiny small group of of, of supporters and subscribers where they're operating because people talk and when people talk they tell us and when they tell us we turn up so and it becomes this vicious circle for them of whereby they have to become more secretive and tell fewer people which means they don't get new supporters in which which is leads to the demographic you now have with Beagling, where the vast majority of supporters are aged over 60 and mm. with very few young new people coming in and traditionally those young new people have come in via the college packs they've gone beagling when at school then beagling when they're at university or at sandhurst or wherever or if they're in the services and then they've moved on to the more civilian packs and they've become the new supporters they've become the new huntsmen the new masters that flow of people coming in is been massively reduced it's if you're not if you're just got a ad hoc slight interest in going and watching how animals get hunted there's very few ways that you can actually get involved anymore. We used to be able to just ring up, it's a number of years ago, we used to be able to just ring up hunts and they would give us meat. They don't do that anymore. Yeah. In order to get to find a hunt meat now, to become, you're going to need references. People need to know you. They need to be able to recommend you and say, here's this person, I know them, da 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 And that's before you can, before you can get any information at all. We did try to get one of our local hunts to um, get us to, one of our supporters to go out with them. And they wanted references. They wanted to visit them at home. They wanted to look at the, their contacts on their phone. It's They are utterly paranoid about us because they know that we can stop them. Blimey. That, yeah, that's, that is paranoid. <laughs> um, d- does that make it more um, difficult for you guys then if they're so secretive to actually um you know track them down on a uh, for any specific meet it is quite difficult um we will have days where unfortunately things don't come together but we're very good at cultivating contacts we're very good at talking to people and making making friends with people who are willing to help us with information um they are difficult to find because there's so few of them. I mean, if you're talking maybe a maximum of 20 people, maybe 15 vehicles, there's no horse boxes, so it's just ordinary people's cars parked park together. Um, the hounds will be transported. They could be transported in the back of a pickup or a, tra- a van or simply a, or in a sheep trailer, a converted sheep trailer, for instance. These, When you've got these small number of vehicles, they know that we can go looking for them, we can spot them in the fields, or we can spot their vehicles parked up together. Virtually all our local hunts now will make attempts to hide their vehicles. They will park them in, in barns in order to stop us spotting them. Um, so, yep, that secretiveness continues off on into the point of when they're trying to avoid us finding them, and we do go looking for them, and we do find them.
Artificial earths have long been a part of fox hunting, their use dating back centuries and continuing today. Artificial sets were used for badger baiting in a process known as drawing the badger. These make sense as foxes and badgers live in sheltered, enclosed spaces that humans can replicate. Yet hares rest in forms above the ground, so is it possible to manufacture an artificial environment for the sakes of breeding hares to hunt? Apparently, yes, according to 18th century huntsman Peter Beckford. Whilst doing research for a possible future episode of Scum Reviver, I came across this passage in John Phibbs's Field Sports and Brownian Design. Peter Beckford, that most sophisticated and sympathetic of huntsmen, described in detail Everly Coppice, which he planted at Steepleton Iwern in Dorset. It was a wood of near 30 acres, cut out into many walks. A smaller warren should have only one, and that round the outside of it. No dog should ever be suffered to go into it, and traps should be kept constantly for stoats and polecats. It is said parsley makes hares strong, they certainly are very fond of eating it. It therefore cannot be amiss to sow some within the warren, as it will be a means of keeping your hares more at home. Trap hares bred in these warrens could then be caught and released for hunting like bag foxes and carted deer. Beckford loved his warren. What I should prefer to catching the hares in traps would be a warren in the midst of an open country which might be stopped closed on hunting days. This would supply the whole country with hares, which, after one turn round the warren, would most probably run straight. The number of hares a warren will supply is hardly to be conceived. I seldom turned out less in one year than 30 brace of trap hares, besides a great many more killed in the environs, of which no account was taken. Fortunately, it seems trap hares are a thing of the past, with hare hunters today a far more opportunistic bunch but artificial warrens are a reminder of the desperate depths hunters sank to in order to satiate their lust for blood rituals. So you previously mentioned or previously said that the much slower nature of of beaglers and and uh yeah basseting I guess uh means that they're likely to pack up when they see sabs but if they didn't if they were to um continue hunting could you talk a little bit about what sabbing a beagle or basset pack uh, might look like? Um, well, I mean, we've had a couple of cases in the last few years where it, certain hunts have chosen to try and hunt with us present. Um, or simply put, because the huntsman will be with this pack of hounds, he'll be casting them out in the field, and the whips will obviously be out, will, well, not obviously, but will be out on the margins, on the boundaries of the areas of hunting, whatever we will try to get on foot in the field with the hounds 
we will always try to be behind the hounds. We don't actually want to be step in front of the area and be putting up hairs ourselves, aiding them in their job. As soon as we're effectively <clears throat> with the hounds, with the huntsman, we will try to lift the head, distract the hounds. We will get them to lift their heads up so they're not scenting on the ground. Um, and we'll keep them doing that. Uh, unfortunately, if they do continue to to try to hunt, then eventually they will put a hair up. Um, once that's happened, once they're actually actively hunting a hair, I mean, as I've alluded to, we will try to intercept. So because mm. they, they tend to hunt wide circles, we can attempt to intercept somewhere around that circle, get between the hounds and the hare, and stop the hounds. <coughs> and I mean, there are a number of other technical things that we could do at this point. Um, we, there used to be a tactic, when well, there probably still is a tactic, of, of called hunting, hunting on. Not that we ever have to use it very often, um, which effectively consists of um, exploiting the situation that, that occurs where hares, will, at some point, they might drink, they will change direction. So, for instance, they seem to be going on a straight line and they'll suddenly change direction and run down a hedge line. So quite often by a gate, for instance, they come through a gate and change direction or change direction just before a gate. At that point, because the the hare's scent has been blown forward by the wind, you've got this this arc of scent on the ground where you can then encourage the hounds to follow their scent. That's all in the opposite direction from where the hare's gone. Um, we have heard of cases where people have used this tactic and effectively run off with a whole pack of hounds. Excuse me, <coughs> and then run them literally a mile or two away from from the hunt staff, and then held them in a pit safety in the field. Where no hunting can take place, uh, waiting for the hunt staff to catch up and get the hounds back. Brilliant. Love um, it. <laughs> haven't had to do that in recent years, but we have done it in the past. Um, yeah. <clears throat> one of the interesting things about our local bassets is that some of them also um, don't just hunt hares, they will also hunt rabbits. And the hunting rabbits with a pack of hounds, then it's an anomaly of the Hunting Act, is legal. Um, so we turned up to one of our local basset packs last season. They were clearly hunting hare, attempting to hunt hares when we arrived. They switched to hunting rabbits as soon as they realised we were there. Um, and hunting rabbits is a much more small scale little operation that involves that the hounds won't be drawing in fields, they'll be drawing in hedgerows or scrub. Um, when they do hunt something, it will be very short because the rabbits obviously don't stray far from their burrows. Hmm. So uh, it's different again. But once again, we would use, we would effectively just use rating commands to stop the hounds in the exact same way that we would stop the beagles when, when they're chasing hares. But primarily, yeah, we'll, 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 we'll disrupt their attempts to hunt for, for hares. And when they do hunt hares, we'll stop them, either by stopping the hounds off the hare or taking the, the hounds away from the hare into a, somewhere where they cannot continue to hunt. So in with my experience of Harriers, one of the uh, things that's, that's very clear in the relationship between the huntsman and the hounds is that the huntsman will essentially just let the Harriers um, like course three, four fields ahead of them. Yeah. Um, 
is that the same for beagles or are you kind of always within sight of the hunt it de- it really depends on which hunt it is uh the ones that we've they've had actually hunt attempted to hunt with us present very much do have that hands-off approach to hunting the hounds um I, I must admit, having read the literature, this does seem to be quite a, a, a post-banned thing, whereby they've trained the hounds, the pack, to be far more independent, to require less input from the hunt, hunt staff while hunting. Um, so effectively, they can just turn up, let let loose a pack of hounds in a field, and the, and the pack will pretty much hunt on its own. It's quite reminiscent of the way that fell fox hunts work in a certain way. Uh, there's very little interference. And I think it's an adaptation to the hunting act. It allows them to go. I've just. I'm not actually involved with this. I'm, it's not. I'm not responsible. I'm not actively involved in hunting these these hunting wild animals. Um, it's a sort of another smokescreen. I mean, clearly, the pack of hounds wouldn't be in the a pack of beagles wouldn't be in a field looking for hares if the huntsman hunt hasn't put them there. But yeah, it does. I think give them a, a degree, as it were, of deniability which is uh, obviously why the hunting acts is generally being not quite as effective as people hoped it was going to be. Yeah, yeah. But and yeah, I, I, oh, I, sorry, I find it interesting, actually, that you're saying about the, the Harriers doing that. I mean, I mean, I've dealt with Harriers in other parts of the country, uh, up in, uh, in uh, well, Mounted Harrier Packs in other part of the country a number of years ago, and obviously they from my, my memory of those, where this was the huntsman was much more on top of the hounds, much more having to constantly instruct them to do stuff. Yeah, my assumption uh, about the harrow packs that I've had experience of and, and how they let the hounds go on you know, quite some distance ahead um, fairly frequently was the same as your um comment on on the beagle packs and it's it being a reaction to the hunting act i assumed it was a way of getting around the uh you know the intention to hunt kind of part of part of the law yeah um i mean one of the i mean the downside for them for for the hunt is that this scenario is obviously that they have less control so it's it's really a, a technique that's more suited towards hunting in more remote areas where there's fewer roads I mean, a number of our local packs hunting areas where there's, there's they will cross a number of roads while they're hunting. Um, and clearly, just letting the hounds run free like that, it, it creates a greater risk of, hound, of mm. being involved in road traffic accidents. So a lot of our, some of our local packs choose not to use this technique. Um, and possibly this is why these are the ones that always pack up when we turn up. Um, whilst packs that, for instance, operating on the more remote areas like the Somerset Levels or up on Salisbury Plain, for instance, seem more likely to try hunting with Sabs present because they can adopt that we're at a distance routine. Yeah. Are there any other parts of um, Sabbing Beagle and, and Basset packs that are uh, kind of uniquely tricky to those types of to those to those types of, of packs you kind of mentioned that the transport vehicle for the hounds can be much more anonymous than you know a, a big horse box on the road um is is there anything else well yeah i mean <clears throat> obviously if they're using a fairly small vehicle then it's quite hard to, to follow them from the kennels because yeah, you can use a blocking vehicle quite easily to stop a, a vehicle that's following them as i said secretive so they don't really tell anybody about it they, 
operating remote areas, places where they can't be viewed from the road. Um, there's another problem. Uh, I mean, obviously, access issues are always going to be a case when you're dealing with fairly remote areas. So, yeah, you may not have the footpaths or the roads that you may want, may have elsewhere, and where these people are operating. Happily, a lot of upland country is also open access these days, so that doesn't always work to their advantage. <laughs> and actually, actually, on on that sort of uh, potential lack of road access, uh, is is it the case that you end up spending um, like yeah, it's it's much more, it's much less likely that you're going to be sort of hopping in and out of a, of a vehicle? Are you spending most of your time on foot, especially since <clears throat> once I guess the hunt themselves are on foot? Yeah, once we've identified where they are, we're on foot the whole way. They're, they're, yeah. what, effectively, our vehicles are used to, to get us into position to drop off, and then we're on foot and we're with them. Uh, we're, we're with the hunt the whole time. So, yeah. so, I mean, we tend to be much more, I suppose, um face to face with people face to face for hunts we are we are much more face to face with hunts than say a situation may occur with people on horseback people on horseback a fair distance away we will actually be eyeball to eyeball with, with the huntsmen with when with the hunt supporters which itself can have a, can i suppose lead to a slightly higher risk of confrontation but we're, we're very polite <laughs> yeah i guess um with that in mind, there's obviously no terriermen uh, with with hare hunts in, in general. Um, but do they have like a, an analog? Do they have like? Do you have experience of seeing sort of you know uh, groups of thugs or whatever out out with uh, beagles or bassets? I mean, you always get a few of the more scummier end of of the hunting fraternity who will t- who will occasionally be out with the beagles. But because, once again, it's that secrecy thing, these are the people who go around talking to each other loudly in pubs about what they do sometimes. So, strangely enough, they, they're probably there less often. I mean, it depends on the area. I mean, if the hare hunt's got a particularly close relationship with its local fox hunt and you're dealing with large private estates, you may well have more gamekeepers turning out. So you may have more <clears throat> the local... Um, working terrier community turning up but generally less so i mean beaglers are they are a bit of a breed apart it has to be said they're still obviously involved in other stuff themselves and they've got connections into other stuff especially into hair coursing but in terms of terrier men less so and of course hair courses are a different matter entirely yeah um do you have any i mean you've you've raised the the subject of hair coursing um and like you said it is it's a very like it is a completely separate thing uh in terms of of what goes on but do you have any thoughts on on coursing and and sort of yeah i i I guess i don't know where i'm going with that but i I don't know if you have any thoughts on sort of coursing and and sabbing and uh potentially the crossover between like courses and and hare hunters there's a certain degree of course i mean i think that one of the great successes of the hunting act was it effectively destroyed organized formal hare coursing because in so much the same way this is one of those things that once being observed and videoed or photographed it's there's very little 
defense to say that you were accidentally setting your lurchers or your greyhounds onto hares. Um, yeah. Ultimately, the big difference, obviously, hair coursing still goes on, but it's less formal. It's much more smaller gang orientated rather than organizationally orientated. And primarily it occurs without the permission of the landowners, uh, as opposed to beagling and basset hunting, hunting with bassets mostly occur with, with the connivance of the landowner, which obviously brings in the landowner under hunting act being if they're knowingly allowing their land to be used for illegal hunting effectively makes them criminals which we do like to remind yeah. them about. Yeah. Um, have you ever... Oh, yeah, sorry. As you were saying, sorry. I was just going to say, have you ever um, had run-ins with courses? With, we personally haven't. I mean, it's not a case of we're... I mean, it's probably a case of we're out... Because we're looking in areas where the beagles are operating, it's probably the areas where the, the hair courses aren't. Hair courses tend to operate as well back very much earlier in the morning than most hair than most beagles will be out um <clears throat> we haven't come across them yet if we did we would deal with them obviously yeah well the obvious one is call the police <laughs> so, um, they do they are actually quite keen on dealing with our hair courses uh, unfortunately they're less keen on um dealing with people hunting hares with beagles and bassets yeah that seems to be the um the the standard uh, demarcation there. <laughs> I think it all it comes down to because people are operating with permission of the landowner. That in mm. the minds of the of the police, there is a somehow a difference in the way they approach what is at the same time illegal activity. Plus the smoke screens, of course. Yeah, yeah. Um, so fox hunting is the is the the banner sport i guess or um the, the banner pastimes not obviously not really a sport mm. uh for for hunting and it's also the kind of the primary focus for uh, a lot of sab groups around the country uh which is completely understandable Absolutely. um yeah and nonetheless there are you know a fair few hare hunting packs both bassets and, and beagles on foot and harriers which are are mounted uh however they they aren't seemingly sabbed quite as frequently um do you have any ideas on on why that might be and also i guess this ties back into why seven veil sabs were were sort of formed in the first place i mean the reason they're not sabbed often and partly is obviously the fact that these people are incredibly secretive and hard to identify where they're operating um i think to an extent people in people's minds, there are hierarchies of animals. They are effectively some animals that they have more feelings for than others. I mean, to an extent, that's somewhat unavoidable. I mean, hares, I don't think, get quite the same, say, love as, say, foxes and badgers or otters. <coughs> so there is a sort of hierarchy of compassion, if you like, whereby, you know, badgers at the top, and then foxes, deer. And hares, because they're much smaller, because people don't have, tend to have so much of an interaction with them, perhaps they tend to have less strong feelings about them. Um, yeah, I mean, I, it may be, I mean, public awareness of hares is sadly lacking. I mean, the, we're, we're talking about an incredibly beautiful, almost magical creature that is 
seriously under threat in conservation terms, not just obviously from hunters and hare courses, but also from changes in the way the countryside is managed. And I mean, this is one of the things, foxes generally are not under any great threat as populations, hares are, so it becomes even more of an issue in terms of protecting them from the people that would do them harm, who are hunting them with beetles and bassets. So it's a hard question to answer why people don't see it in perhaps as strongly, really, you'd have to go and ask them why. Yeah. But, but yeah. I think the secretiveness is a lot to do with it because fox hunts are very visually obvious, even when they're not wearing the hunting red. A, a group of 20 or 30 or, or, or in around here, several hundred riders <sighs> is very in the countryside is very, very obvious, whereas opposed to 20 or 30 people um, in a field with a pack of eagles isn't very obvious at all, especially since many, many of our local hunts no longer wear, the hunt staff no longer wear uniforms. Oh, right. Literally um, five years ago, every, they were all wearing, everybody that wore a green coat, the hunt staff had green coats on and their funny riding hats that they don't need to be wearing when running around. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> but now it's very much down to plus fours, waistcoats, flat cap, and the only reason you know is the enhancement is because he's got a horn tucked into his waistcoat. And the only reason you know that somebody else is a whipper in is because he's carrying a whip. So right. it's they've effectively tried to almost anonymise themselves by abandoning the, the paraphernalia of the hunting uniforms. I mean, if you've ever seen photographs of beaglers in their traditional kits, they do look a bit odd. I mean, wearing white jodhpurs with long socks over them and a bright green coat, well, a dark green coat, and a riding habit when you're running across the field does look a bit old. <laughs> I've uh, I've only had a couple of experiences with with uh, with beagle packs, and yeah, those those were wearing the riding helmets, and I was yeah, I couldn't figure out why they were doing it. Like why why wear the helmet? Yeah, it's 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 a very strange, almost anachronistic set of clothing, but it's but it makes them very visually obvious, and I think part mm. of their thinking has been. If they become less visually obvious, then the members of the public won't spot them, and it's going to be harder for us to spot them. Which is something certainly saying it's true, but you know, when you know what they look like, even when they're just wearing a waistcoat and plus fours, you can pretty much spot them anyway. As as you've uh, kind of uh, yeah, you've you've mentioned a, a couple of times is that uh, hare hunts can be a lot more vulnerable. Um, especially the ones that are on foot to sabbing, but perhaps also uh, more vulnerable in the kind of the yeah the, the over uh, what the kind of the longer term as well. Yeah. If they're so uh, secretive and and stuff like that, so do you think that there is scope for putting a greater pressure on them to get them to fold? I think there's huge scope for for, for closing down individual hunts, contracting them down. We, we, I mean, we see the, the problem for be beaglers has been that they've been actually, despite the fact that they've not been the prime target of hunt saboteurs, the, the mere fact of existence of hunt saboteurs has put them under pressure. They were the first type of hunting to stop advertising where they were going to be in the, in the newspapers and in the hunting press. Um, 
right. way back in the 1970s. As soon as hunt saboteurs appeared on the scene, a number of a number of hunts that were around at that time just literally went whoop, went quiet. There was no more advertising. The hunts, even in really remote areas of North Yorkshire, uh, Wales, and the West Country, continued to to advertise. But as soon as they they then sabs turned up, that was it. They stopped. Um, I mean, obviously, no, that none. I don't think any fox hunts are advertised anymore. Uh, or I'm saying maybe one or two of the stag hunts still mention where they're going to meet. But the fox hunts have effectively had to follow suit. But you've had this long-term process of them having to hide, make themselves more anonymous, be really secretive, check out who, who's approaching them. And it's a cumulative approach whereby the number of people involved has got smaller and smaller and older and older. And for many pack these packs, they are operating on a financial knife edge. They simply don't have enough subscribers or supporters to continue to financially continue. It's only they are waiting for that final tip over into oblivion. And I think hunt saboteurs can do that. We're down to around 50 packs of beagles. We're down to six packs of bassets. We we had 12 packs of bassets, I think it was 15 years ago. It's it's getting smaller and smaller. They are really, really under pressure. And we're hearing it from within them as well, where hunts are effectively trying to get themselves into amalgamations to join up together to try and make themselves financially viable. Um, we're seeing it with we've seen seeing it with uh, packs locally that have amalgamated around our way. Um, and I think there's going to be more of them. So I, I, it sounds like you're you're hopeful for um, a, uh, a a rapidly dwindling um, hare hunting community. Well, it is rapidly dwindling. We're just going to make sure there's fewer and fewer of the actual packs of hounds going out. And that is our ultimate aim: is to see these people close down. If the law won't, if yeah. the law won't do it, we're going to have to do it. Yeah, fantastic. Is there anything else, um, anything that you wanted to say uh, that that hasn't been covered or um, yeah hasn't hasn't been brought up yet? Oh, I don't know if it's appropriate to say that um, we're currently fundraising to um, get our vehicle back on the road for the coming this coming hare uh, hunting season. Um, there, there's a link on our Facebook page for our just giving the account. If anybody who's listening to this. Would, would like to put a few pounds our way so we can get out there and keep on sabotaging these people, that would be excellent. On the 1st of November, on a bright autumn day, to the hills of the Milna I chanced for to stray. I was feeding on green grass that grows on young ground. When my heart was set to beating by the cry of the hounds, must a right alley ho. Harky over, hi ho. Harky over, cries the huntsman. Harky over, hi ho. They hunted me up and they hunted me down. The bold huntsman of Stan on my trail sent the hounds over highlands and lowlands. Harky over, hi ho, harky 
Hockey over, hi-ho, hockey over, hi-ho. 